0: Thank you.
1: To No Laughing Matter with Cubapete, a show that takes a critical look at the disparities between medical school education and society's growing healthcare inequities. Join Dr. Pedro Cubapete Greer each episode as he interviews the experts working to transform medical education and ensuring that future doctors are trained to provide equitable and compassionate health care for all communities. Dr. Greer received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2009, honoring his dedication to providing health care to underserved populations. As Dean of Roseman University College of Medicine in Las Vegas, Dr. Greer is committed to creating a medical school of the future, where students embrace the need to unite the heart and science of health care. And now, the host of No Laughing Matter with Cuba Pete, Dr. Pedro Cuba Pete Greer. Hi.
2: I'm Pedro Jose Greer. They call me Joe and sometimes Cuba Pete. And welcome back to Cuba Pete, live from Studio A. Probably when you're seeing it, it won't be live, but it's live right now. How about that? <laughs> we have the most spectacular guest with us today. This is a person that I've had the pleasure of sitting down with, admiring, enjoying her words. It is Dr. Darian Pollard. She is the president of what is now Nevada State University because of her, formerly known as Nevada State College. And she's been there since August of 2021. By the way, she happens to be the first black woman ever to be the president of any Nevada State higher education institution.
0: So first of all, thank you for having me here today. And you zoned right in on probably one of my most uh, impassioned conversations around first-generation students. Uh, nearly half of our student body at Nevada State University are first in their family to attend college. About 75% of our students are also students of color. So you put this mix together, and I call it this glorious melting pot of what America is right now, but also this interesting space that has been sometimes forgotten because we don't talk about first-generation college students the way that we should be talking about them and their needs. So I love the fact that I have uh, the honor of leading an institution is unapologetic in the fact that this is the population of students that we have the honor of serving.
2: And which is of particular interest to me because as a medical school dean, I want first-generation students. Yes, you do. I want them big time for various reasons. Number one, diversity including economic diversity, yes. enhances my profession and makes it better. The other one is that first generation students tend to stay at home. Yes, they do. We need doctors in this state. So let's go for the ones that are gonna stay here. And why would they stay here? Well, this is their home. When you're first generation, you're the first one in your family, when you get a bachelor's degree, a master's, or a doctorate, the first one in your family to have the opportunity for generational wealth. Yes. and that should be what our future workforce is. What drove you to, to do what you do?
0: Well, I think a couple of things. Uh, probably as I tell people, the students that I have the, the honor of serving are students that are just like me. I grew up first-generation college student. I grew up on the south side of Chicago, oftentimes in an environment where people would not have predicted that I would be doing what I'm doing right now. Um, I had a community- or, or, or ever
2: leave the south side. Well,
0: that, that is very true. Um, and what's very compelling to me about that is that uh, my my father I was primarily raised by my father. My mother died when I was very young, and as I oh, think, but as a result of that, he wanted us to be survivalist. So it was very intentional that okay, you're going to get a college degree. We don't know how, we don't know what the process is going to be, but you're going to get one, and you're going to be able to take care of yourself. Because I think his greatest fear was that he would not be there to take care of us. So that that kind of put that spark in me. Um, I was a very successful college president in Maryland and uh, had every intention to retire from that job in a few years, I hoped. Uh, But I got a call one day from a girlfriend who said to me, Adirian, have you heard about this job? And I said, what job? And, you know, it's a Saturday morning, I'm laying in bed, listening to music, drinking my tea. And I said, look, girl, I got a a contract, you know, she said, read this, this job description. This is your job. And lo and behold, two months later, the job was mine because it was the mission that was so compelling for me and the fact to step into a state which is very different than Maryland, which has a high priority on education that invests in it that way, to step into a state that's trying to figure out what that looks like, I wanted to be a part of it.
2: And in a state where people are actually, I have found, for the most part, extremely friendly.
0: Oh, I,
2: I, I'm from Miami, mm-hmm. which is anything but friendly. Yes. Okay.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of Midwesterners here. That's what I think. So, so that's why they're uh, also they're nice. They're also nice. We, we, we're very nice people. People
2: say hello, yes. excuse me, yes. you know.
0: Thank you. Thank yeah. you. But, you know, we work hard and we play hard. And yes. that's the beautiful thing about Midwesterners. And I think Nevada.
2: By the way, your campus is spectacular. Thank you. It is so beautiful. Thank you. And it's also situated in a part of the city that all your surrounding topography is gorgeous. Yes. I'm particularly interested in first gen students going into the health professions. Mm-hmm. And I know that you guys do that too. Mm-hmm. And you produce nurses. Yes. You produce scientists. Yes. And we want you to produce a bunch of doctors in medicine.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Although... The PhDs are the real doctors. Let's be serious about this, okay? <laughs> we didn't have to do a dissertation. Yes. But one of the things that you do do also is you have students after their third year can go to Rosemond and get right into pharmacy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is uh, something spectacular. Your nurses could also come over. We just opened up a new program, a CRNA program. Mm-hmm. That's a certified registered nurse anesthetist. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that want to be nurses and your first gen, you're gonna do very well if you get your graduate degree, 100%. Even without a doctorate, just with your master's degree. Because here in the state, they were smart enough to say, well, the doctors aren't doing it. Let's get the nurse practitioners and they can be clinicians in primary care clinics. So it's, and and I've been thrilled with the ones that I work with.
0: I love the work that you all are doing, uh, Roseman, because of this very idea. Uh, that you said earlier, locality matters, home matters. We know that Nevada and Southern Nevada even more so does not have enough healthcare professionals to serve the populace that is growing. Um, We know that institutions like our own, if you can grow your own locally, they tend to stay. I know 80% of my graduates stay locally in Nevada State. So if there's a pathway that takes them from the communities that they're in and they're able to then pursue higher education, pursue graduate education. Because I always say, don't stop. Because I never want anybody to tell me something I can't do, so get the degree so that you can decide what you want to do and then be able to serve and impact your community and serve your cousins and them as we called them, your aunties, the play ones and the real ones, your parents, your children. That to me is about enhancing the quality of life. If, if there's nothing more democratic than education.
2: I, I'm the the son of a first generation. Yeah, Actually first one to finish high school in our family. Once mm. was, he became a doctor, but don't go crazy with graduate education. After my third postdoc, <laughs> my wife came to me and said, We have two kids. Get a job. I know.
0: (laughs) Because learning is so much fun. It really is. That's why I never left college. That's exactly it. It's the best.
2: There you go. And uh, are you going to expand the university?
0: Mm, We are. We're actually doing some pretty powerful things right now, I think, in this space. One is that... Uh, during COVID and even those moments right before, Nevada State is actually the only public institution in the state that experienced growth still. So as a result of that, we know our value proposition. And part of that is high quality, um, accessible education with robust support services provided by excellent faculty. So in order to do that, we have some clear opportunities. Uh, We're going to be expanding in our undergraduate programs in our business area. Uh, We have a large, uh, growing data informatics type of program. I think given our adjacencies to Las Vegas and even California, looking more into the visual arts is going to be particularly important. Our state needs us to produce more teachers and nurses. So, you know, we're continuing to do that work. We're seeing what's
2: going on with Clark County right now.
0: Exactly. Graduate education. We know that there's a need for that. We're going to be starting some graduate programs uh, in nursing leadership and so forth. So there's a lot of work to be done. But you and I both know even if we were to double what we're doing right now, it's not enough. enough. So that's why I think these type of partnerships are important. If I take my little bit, put it with your little bit, that has an exponentiating factor.
2: If we work collaboratively and not competitively. Exactly. Because... The reason she's so successful, for those of you that are not aware, unfortunately higher education can be a very toxic environment, especially medical education. And it's so important that your leadership take that away. I had the honor of going to visit her and she brought uh, two of her, uh, I one was a dean, the other yep. one was a student affairs. Yeah. Uh, and I got to tell you, it is so nice to sit with happy people. <laughs> Mission oriented. Yes. And that trickles all the way down the so it's leadership like yours Mm. that will help reform higher education so that we can do what we need to do for those of you that are not aware of the way higher education works there's a thing we have called the GI Bill Mm. when that was passed you know who fought it the Ivy League schools Mm -hmm. because that meant the elite could go to their school Mm. the non elite could go to their school now we're finding out about their legacy admissions Mm -hmm. so that's always interesting but I mean, it, it's very funny how many times higher education, how they look at diversity. Mm-hmm. I, the, the prime example I give is my daughter. My daughter does what she calls movement lawyering. Yeah, And uh, I'm very proud of her. It's called yeah. the Community Justice Project. She, uh, she was recruited as a junior in high school to Stanford. Mm-hmm. And I was on a board where there was a trustee from Stanford. I said, why are you recruiting my daughter? as a football? She's a junior, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. He goes, no, she's Hispanic. We're looking for minorities. I go, let me give you my daughter's minority status. Mm. Both her parents have graduate degrees, and she's been to private school her whole life. That is her minority status. There you go. And so my wife and I decided that, no, we're not going to let her take any scholarship based on that because we could afford it. Now, having said that, she went to a a Jesuit school and then an Ivy League law school. I wish I had taken the scholarships. But... (laughs) But that's not the way it's supposed to work. No, no. You know, there's kids that are dying to learn. Everybody should know about Nevada State University and be proud that it's in your state. And even prouder that Dr. Pollard is the one that's running this institution. Mm, thank you. And, you know, it just... I, I'm just really so honored to be sitting here with you mm. and your accomplishments and...
0: You're quite kind. I, 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 but I think... Um, organizations like ours benefit from the lived experiences that we bring into this. I mean, look at this. You are creating a whole new entity in a new uh, uh, region trying to change a narrative around education, medical education, and who should have access to that. Well, that and that, 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 is, that to me is the quintessential question that will be over the next decade in higher education. Um, we have done a lot to create pathways for the people for whom higher education was intended. Now we have to have the conversations about how do we ensure pathways for the folks for whom higher ed was not intended and who we need to be successful. It's not even a matter of saying, you know, you may not have the social justice perspective that you or I may share about the fact that helping an individual is an important part of the, the landscape and the conversation. But I, I, had, I sat with a donor uh, some time ago who was very upset about some of our policies in terms of who, uh, this is a previous job. Uh, who we were able to award scholarships to, and he was very upset that we were providing some type of financial assistance to those who uh, were have undocumented uh, naturalization status here. And I remember looking at him and I said, "We can disagree on a lot of different things. I said, but, why do you choose to live in this community? And he kind of paused and he said, well, you know, we have great parks, we have good quality of health and all the, I said, all of these things are the benefits of living in a well-educated community. When you have people well-educated, you have greater access to health uh, benefits and health organizations, greater voter engagement, less crime, uh, better health determinants, greater engagement around social service needs and so forth. I said, if nothing else, if you don't believe that Darien, Is entitled or should be able to have access to these resources do it for you because you want to live in a community where people are better educated and right now I'm thinking how do we have these types of conversations we're talking both about the individual good of higher education as well as the public good about what it means to be educated
2: I think that we should join forces and go into these communities I agree and let them know the opportunities that exist, but not just talking to the kids, we gotta talk to the parents.
0: I agree, two generation solutions.
2: Yep, and let them know that, yes, you can go. Now, here's another very interesting fact. Only one year, 2021, did the entire state of Nevada have more than 400 students apply to medical school. Wow. It was only 401. Wow. And so, we need to find that pipeline. At our prior institution, we started a medical school in South Florida. It was interesting. 70% of our students only got into our school. 30%, mm. 35%, depending on the year, were first gens. We had the second most diverse medical school in the country, with 55% representing underrepresented minorities. Mm. Every graduating class we had had the highest step scores, the highest pass rate. Mm-hmm. And the difference was yeah in our medical school i believe so much in equity inclusion belonging diversity True. and it's not represented in the leadership mm. of our six leaders only two of us are males mm-hmm. i'm hispanic mm-hmm. lose african american mm-hmm. four are women three are african americans mm. and we have a couple of immigrants in there yeah. we just in, just just, <laughs> just for the flavor of the right, food right, right. but If it doesn't come from the top, it doesn't go down. I completely agree. And the other diversity I believe, and especially in education, is only two of us of the top six leaders have MDs. Mm. If you're going to prepare your future workforce, they have to understand how society is. Mm -hmm. They They, have to understand that a diabetic that owns a company is very different than a diabetic that's homeless mm. and the consequences that can occur and the comorbid disorders. And the social accountability that we have to have as
1: physicians—we
2: mm-hmm. have some of the worst health outcomes in this country.
0: Yeah.
2: Maternal mortality. Yes. We rank what, thirtieth in the world. Right. And if you're African American, the yes, rates are eight higher. times. Yep. If you're Native American, they're nineteen times higher. Right. I'd like us to start a midwifery program. Oh. Let's work on that together. I
0: would love that. And you, and what you're hitting on too is, is this interesting intersection as well around poverty. I'm reading a book right now. Uh, called Poverty by America. Oh, yes, right uh,
2: the, from the guy from Princeton. He, yeah,
0: and what's interesting I, I, I got stuck on his first book evicted. You know, yeah, I looked at, he runs um,
2: an eviction center yeah, and it's it's
0: amazing. His story is so compelling and he
2: comes from a very humble background He
0: does and, and he chooses to still live that way even though he's at Princeton, right? Here's the part that's so compelling about this that poverty and Any of the other isms that we want to have is as Americanism as apple pie and if we want to have different outcomes, we have to start to attack these issues at the core. And we have to acknowledge them, <laughs> that they exist and that there are disparate experiences in this country based on race, based on gender, based on socioeconomic status, based on immigrant status, based on ability that you were born with versus that you were not. All of those things are part of And if you can acknowledge that and then talk about the sy- systemic ways in which that's been used against generations so that's the issue here and it's not
2: just poverty it's in that book which is fascinating to me it's how we keep them in poverty yes
0: the intentionality around that
2: right and especially the the fine and the financial system how it works
0: well the haves have to keep having so the have nots have to keep having not
2: well as my father told me when i was very young you can only eat one steak at a time yeah and you can only drive one car at a time
0: one would think you know, one would think, but that's not the reality right now. When we look at what 80% of this wealth is in and, and globally is held by less than 3% of the population that there's something fundamentally wrong with that. So that's writ large.
2: And, and let's talk about something else that mostly yeah. affects the, uh, the impoverished climate change.
0: Oh my gosh. Right.
2: First of all, how many people in Las Vegas do not have air conditioning? Yeah. I mean, I used to see this when we do our household visits in South Florida because there you have the rains, mm-hmm. the mosquitoes. Yeah. And it, by law, you're not required in Section 8 housing to have air conditioning. That's. Which is ridiculous in South inhumane. Florida. It's inhumane.
0: It's inhumane.
2: Where the water gets 100 degrees, it right. breaks a world record. And um, you'd walk in, and what's the highest rates in impoverished neighborhoods? Hypertension. Yep. Diabetes. diabetes and then the consequences of diabetes yes renal failure, amputation, blindness yes etc 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 and you'd go into somebody's home and they had a screen porch yeah no air conditioning
0: when the fan's blowing in the no, window no, exactly but there's <laughs>
2: holes in the screen yeah now does not one think that repairing a screen is a lot cheaper than putting somebody on dialysis mm. or amputating a limb? yeah and so, what, what are we thinking? These are human beings. Mm-hmm. And this is, it's so important. I mean, what you do, especially with the undergraduates, because mm-hmm. you're the one that gets them in the door. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to take advantage of what you're doing and just yes. hang on to your coattails. Yes, yes. And uh, make it something that we offer the community not just better health, but better doctors.
0: And and a better quality of life. Yes. You know, I, I, I love your imagery that you struck talking about um, South Florida, because I can remember the imagery I feel when I moved here. And I literally had this experience the other day. I'm driving in my car, and I'm struck by the number of people that I see walking oh. in the middle of the day with multiple layers of clothes on. Uh, and it's 105 degrees, and so there's a part of me that knows that yes, there are a lot of folks who have to be moving. This is they have to get different places. But y- you wonder about the infrastructure, the societal social network that you know helps catch people who may be, you know, living on the edge in a way that. Um, this is not a choice they would be making, but this is something they have to do to get from here to there and their quality of life. And 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 in this heat here, I mean, it is it is unlike anything I've experienced in my entire life.
2: What's really fascinating is the statistics that came out from the pandemic—the marked increase in pedestrian deaths, but they were all lower socioeconomic.
0: I just heard the N- NPR. Must have been the same mm-hmm. guy. I heard on NPR talking about this and. Um, And this idea of the lack of safety for pedestrians, and primarily pedestrians of economic strata who are in the lower 25%, because they don't have cars, they are dependent on public transportation and or walking to get to different places. And yet we've made cars faster, We've made them, uh, we give all kinds of safety things in them, but people don't pay attention to it. Oh, and by the way, we say, you need to get here to here while you have a cell phone in your hand and some, and, and you can listen to a video at the same time. We've, cre- we've created an environment where it is hostile it's for certain ho- people to live.
2: It's hostile. There's not good public uh, transportation.
0: Oh, my gosh. And
2: if you look at it, I'm going to look at it purely as a clinician. Yes. If I have a patient walking in 105 degree heat and they got to walk... 20 blocks to get to a federally funded clinic. Right. Their blood pressure is going to be through the roof. Yep. That's just the way it happens because yep. you're volume depleted yep. and you're hot and you're tired.
0: Or they're not going to do
2: it. Or they're not going to do it. Right. And though, so, so that's why we have the system of a Genesis, which is household centered care. Yeah. Because if you are an hourly employee, you have no benefits. Right. So 20 years ago with Dr. Brewster, who runs the program, mm-hmm. and actually the architect of it, uh, we sat down and the question, we were starting the other med school, I said, Lou, how do I get to the poorest patient before they show up at the clinic? Mm.
0: Meet them where they
2: are. Meet them where they are. And have two portals so we get trusted partners. Yeah. And they can refer patients to us. She's telling me that I'm out of time, so. And <laughs> and she's going to be a nurse, so a doctor always listens to a nurse. That's very true. But very true. But I'm going to say... Thank you on one condition. Yes, sir. You come back.
0: Oh, Missy, any time you have me. I mean, I would love you, this. you have
2: such a message. Mm. And by the way, you, you have this spectacular smile. Thank you. you. Keep that going because that's something you give away for free, and mm. it just makes people feel better. Dr. Pollard, thank you so much for being on this show, and thank you more than that for what you do and the leadership that you have. We are blessed to live in this community with a leader like you.
0: I'm just trying to be like you. No. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs>
2: <Don't> do you. <laughs> Talk to my wife. The uh and with that, I'm gonna say this is Cuba Pete saying goodbye because she's already agreed to one condition. She's coming back.
1: If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, like, and comment on your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support the groundbreaking work that Dr. Greer is doing at the Roseman University College of Medicine, please donate at the link below. Thanks for tuning in to No Laughing Matter with Cuba Pete, as together we work to unite the heart and science of healthcare to serve all in our communities. See you next time.